Hey, today on Jesus, Sex, and Politics, we have in the studio with us the current Indiana Lieutenant Governor, Suzanne Crouch. Suzanne is running for governor in 2024, and she's going to talk to us about all the things she believes Indiana needs to accomplish to make it one of the best places in the country for people to live, to thrive, to grow, and most importantly, for their liberties to be protected under our great Constitution. We also have a special fill-in co-host, because Nathan's not here. Our very own Pastor Tina Pavey will be filling in, and we're going to dive into what will make Indiana an even better place for you, for me, for all the Hoosiers that call Indiana home. So let's dive in. You're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be a great show. Don't forget to share and to like and to subscribe to the Jesus, Sex, and Politics podcast. Tell all your friends, and especially your liberal friends out there, to listen to the Jesus, Sex, and Politics podcast, because there they will know the truth and the truth will set them free we all need to be free so let's dive in hey welcome to the jesus sex and politics podcast i'm micah and nathan's not here today but we have tina hello filling in that's right tina how are you today hey i'm good how are you i'm gonna i'm gonna say like uh you, you uh you are probably one of the best villains that we could have for Nathan because uh, I would say out of all the people who know a lot of stuff, you probably know just a little bit more than Nathan knows. Oh my God. I would say that's you probably true. You said that and that's recorded? That's right. It's recorded. Sweet. He's not going to hear this. He doesn't listen. Oh yeah. Yeah, he will. <laughs> yeah, he will. I yeah, just want to, that, that is going down in You're history welcome. that you said that. Mark this, mark this moment. Take that, put it in your pocket. Whenever I say something that's Everything bad that's I rude, ever thought about you, I right know I'm taking that's away. That's good. That's good. Well, <laughs> we have a special, special guest in the studio with us today. We have the Lieutenant Governor of Indiana, Suzanne Crouch, joining us. Thank you, Suzanne, for being here. It's so good to have you. Well, thank you, Micah and Tina, for having me as your guest. And yeah. I am looking forward to Jesus, sex, politics. <laughs> and Suzanne. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I are. love it. You know, this is all about talking about those those things that people say, hey, we don't want to talk about. So, you know, we hear all throughout uh, our, our culture, well, you don't talk about religion and politics. And then in the church world, a lot of times you hear, we don't want to talk about sex. Like, But all three of those things are so, so important in the world we live in. Religion, politics, sex, they've really defined societies and cultures. And I, I've seen it, and Nathan the same way has seen it. When you don't talk about those things, people become ignorant to how to walk those paths. And we are forced to walk a path when it comes to politics. You're forced to deal with sex. You're forced to deal with, with religion in the world. There's all these things. But if you don't know God's perspective on these issues, how will you know what's right? And so that's why we started this a year and a half ago. It's been growing. People seem to, to like it. And we do a lot of Indiana politics. So it's just uh, it's a good thing to, to dive into. So, But it's because of guests like yourself that we can say, hey, this is, uh, is going to have some good content here, and we're going to talk about the issues. So, Thank you. Why, so why don't we just dive in with you? So tell us a little bit about your backstory, your history. Mm -hmm. How did you get involved in politics? I'd say a lot of people don't necessarily look at the lieutenant governor's office and know a whole lot about the office. So maybe explain kind of that for, for the average listener out there. Oh, of course. Yes, thank you. You know, it's interesting that I'm the lieutenant governor of Indiana because I didn't grow up in a political home. Uh, my parents always voted, but I don't recall a single political discussion growing up. But, you know, they raised me with the kind of values and principles that I think ultimately led me to public service because they raised me first to believe in God, to trust in God. They raised me to believe it takes hard work to get ahead, to believe in equality and opportunity 
not equality of outcome. But they also raised me with a strong sense of personal responsibility, but to accept I have a responsibility to help others who are less fortunate. And I think that's what ultimately led me to public service. Now, I didn't get there right away. I graduated from Purdue University. I was a real... I saw that, a Boilermaker. Yes, that's my husband, too. (laughs) Oh, geez. Oh, Oh, geez. Come on. Great schools in Indiana. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I was a realtor, a small business owner. I worked for a public television station. I was a stockbroker. And while those careers were um, rewarding in many ways, I didn't feel like I was helping. I didn't feel like I was making a difference in people's lives. And so it wasn't until I decided to get involved in politics that I found that avenue for me where I thought I could really make a difference in people's lives. Because think about it. Government permeates every aspect of Absolutely. our life. And so to me, if we're going to have more control, if we're going to get government out of our lives, then I need to be in government to make that happen. That's right, yes. And yeah. so I, I ran for office. I was so politically naive. I thought if you were the best candidate and you worked the hardest, you would get elected. And <laughs> Wait, I lost. are you saying that's and not I right? Lost. <laughs> I lost. Uh, but you know, you will learn more from your losses than you do your wins. Yeah. What, what office did you run for? I ran for county auditor down in Vandenberg County, down okay. Evansville okay. area. Uh, but, you know, and it was personally devastating. You know, because all you can think about are all the people that didn't vote for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, as I said, you learn more from your losses than your wins. And I stayed involved, and then I ran again and became county auditor. And then I was the county commissioner and then a state rep and then auditor state and now lieutenant governor. And what is so interesting is that throughout that period of time, I always tried to pattern my public service after... Abraham Lincoln, Mm. because Lincoln said that government should do for people only what they cannot do better for themselves Mm. and no more. And so we have to fight the problems of too much and inefficient government. We have to deliver services efficiently and cost effectively to those that need them. But at the end of the day, shouldn't we always measure our progress, not by the amount of assistance we give people, But by the number of people, we get off of assistance and back on their own two feet. That's good. And so I was inspired by our 40th president, who was such a clear voice in defining the essence of America. And what became known as the Reagan Revolution provided young and idealistic conservatives with great purpose. And I remember one thing that Reagan said that really touched my heart. He said that freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. And so I I believe that those those words are as important today as they were then. And I believe that God has granted us inalienable rights that governments and men cannot take away. And our Constitution is not a guide. Our Constitution is a guarantee of our rights as Americans. And we also should have the freedom to choose our own path without interference from an all-powerful federal government in a far distant capital. And so I have, and what's so interesting is I never, I probably ought to take a pause so you can ask me another question. No, this is good. No, this is, share your heart. Yeah. All I ever wanted to do was local government. And I believe that God puts us in places for reasons. I love my hometown, Evansville. That's all I ever wanted to do. And I was a county commissioner when I got talked into 
running for state representative. And I thought, well, you know, that's not so bad because I'm still going to be home most of the time. Uh, and I did that and was doing that when then Governor Pence asked me if I would be auditor of state. And I, I originally told him no, because I was very happy doing what I was doing and not being away from home any more than I was. But, you know, the governor said, no, you think about it over the weekend. <laughs> and, you know, I prayed about it and talked to my husband. And this is a funny story. So my husband is an attorney. He's retired now. So when I said, you know, the governor asked if I would be auditor of state, he got out a legal pad and he drew a line down the center. He put pros on one side, cons on the other. And he did that when we talked about getting married 45 years ago. <laughs> I'm serious. I wish I had that piece of I was going to say, now. I'd love to see that. Yeah, That'd be I wish great. I had yeah. But so he asked me to do that. And I am a believer God puts us in places for reasons. Yeah. And I thought, well, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. And I was doing that when then Eric Holcomb asked if I would be lieutenant governor. And I thought, well, God has asked me to do this. So there's a reason I believe that my life has taken the path that it has, not the path that necessarily I saw that it was going to take, but the path that it has. Yeah. You never set off to be some governor, lieutenant governor, but it's just, you know, the Lord, the Bible says you plan out your path, but the Lord directs your steps. And I also and, always say, I, yeah. I hope God's plans line up with mine. I hope yeah. my plans line up with God. That's right. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln, you mentioned that earlier. Abraham Lincoln, during the the height of the Civil War, was called into uh, a, a pastor's meeting in Washington, D.C., and the pastors were going to pray for the nation, and Abraham Lincoln was, was right there praying with them. And one of the pastors got up and said, Mr. Lincoln, let us pray that God is on our side. And, and he so wisely stood up and said, no, gentlemen, let us pray that we are on God's side. That's right. And that's, uh, I mean, what a great perspective there. It's not... It's not God come over to my side. It's like Lord, you you pull me wherever I need to go. You put me on your side, and and I think that's great. And I think you're a testament to just uh, you know service. I mean, just you you've served your community, your state, and the Lord just keeps opening doors for you. And I, I love that. I, I I would love to if if it's all right to talk a little bit about uh, mental health. The, oh my gosh! The, yeah. the, I mean, that's I know that's very uh, important to you. And Tina, I know we have uh, a mental health crisis, especially with with the teenagers and mm -hmm. children, and uh, in our in our state and our world. And Tina, you're the uh, the pastor, the next gen pastor here. So you oversee mm -hmm. all of our next gen ministries at all of our Life Church campuses. We have four campuses, and and so maybe between you two, just talk about what you see and how from a church perspective and a family perspective, we can tackle this crisis of mental health, but then what's the government's role in all of this? And where's, to your point, government shouldn't necessarily do for people what they can't do for themselves, but what does that look like with mental health? So maybe, Wow, yeah. yeah. So just to help you too, my background is also in psychology. I worked in a psychiatric hospital before I ever came into ministry with kids and teenagers. And well, so, thank you. Oh, well, you know, I, I didn't know the Lord then. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And I often wish, like, it'd be cool to be able to go back and take what I know now there to those kids. Um, but that was, you know, in the um, mid to late 90s that I worked there. And, um, you know, one of the things... I was, I was still in middle school. Oh, stop so. talking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't think you were supposed to talk during this part. Just uh, want to throw that out. <laughs> but, you know, there was a big push. So what 
I personally saw from the kids we worked with back then is back then the big push was mainstream, 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 um, which I certainly understood the goal. Like you want kids in a regular school and all of that. But some of what's happened is our teachers are certainly, you know, dealing with mental health crises in their classrooms and, and social media has like whatever mental health crises existed back then. I mean, you can just multiply that a hundredfold be a lot, I think because of social media, social contagion and COVID and COVID, right? So, yeah. So what do you think, uh, like, what would you say to the average family that's struggling? Those of us who are working with those kids, you know, we have a lot of kids that talk about eating disorders and what's different now, personally, I see a lot of kids diagnosing themselves or teenagers. Oh, I have an eating disorder. Oh, I have this. Oh, mm. I have, you know, That's gender dysphoria. Yes. Yeah. So they're yeah. diagnosing themselves and expecting um, medications and mental health services. So yeah, what wisdom do you have mm. in those roles? <laughs> you know, I would, I would say we have hope. Um, you know, it was interesting. Uh, this is a, a real passion of mine. Mm. Um, and after our re-election in 2020, I decided above and beyond my normal duties and responsibilities, and I oversee four agencies and a lot of initiatives and am president of the Senate, that I wanted to focus on mental illness and addiction. Yeah. Uh, because of what I saw that COVID did to people, I, and I travel the state, I've been all 92 counties many times over, and when I talk to teachers or Boy Scout girls, anyone, you, anyone dealing with young people, they would share with me that the amount of panic, anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. suicide ideation, acting on suicide and self-harm was greater than they'd ever seen among our young people, and that concerned me because that's the future of Indiana. Right. One out of five Hoosiers struggles with mental illness or addiction, and we all know Hoosiers that it faces those challenges, and sometimes they're our own family members. And that's my personal passion, is because I was raised by a mother uh, who struggled with depression her whole life. I remember being very young, and my father saying, I was asking, where's, my, where's mom? And he said, well, she's gone to see Dr. Marchuk for her nerve medicine. Well, I didn't know what that meant, but I knew right. she was sick. Uh, and then this past November, we buried my older brother, Larry. He was two years older than me. He was an alcoholic. He drank himself to death. I'm so sorry. Uh, my younger sister, Nancy, who is 18 months younger than me, uh, died in her early 20s by suicide. Oh, and wow. then our daughter, Courtney, is 15 years sober and bipolar. And so when you've lived with people that have struggled through no fault of their own, right. it's because of genes they've inherited, you know that there's something you have to do. And I, I, I made it a passion and a focus of mine to use my office as lieutenant governor to be able to put a spotlight on that issue. And I co-founded the Indiana Mental Health Roundtable along with John Lecklider, former CEO and president of Lilly. We actually had a, a mental health summit yesterday where we had people from all walks of life that came to learn more about how together we can approach and address and move the needle on this issue. And we had three focuses in this summit. One was workforce. One was um, um, faith-based organizations. And then one was children and adolescents. 
And the faith-based organizations, and I'd love to get y'all's input on this, that is, that is something I think we just have to look at how we as government can be supportive of our faith-based organizations and our churches to be able to touch those people and help them that are in need. Because 60% of Hoosiers go to church. Okay, so we have this infrastructure already in place that's in the business of helping people. So how can we, as a state, be able to provide resources so that churches and faith-based organizations that want to help those that are struggling in their congregation or outside be able to give them that help? And Tennessee it has a great model where they're actually doing that. And the gentleman, Dr. Burks, who heads that up, was at the at the um, summit yesterday and kind of sharing what they have done in Tennessee. It's a marvelous model where the state actually, within their Division of Mental Health and Addiction Agency, have peer counselors, have counselors, have therapists that will, at the request of a church or a faith-based organization, go out and help do workshops, help train, respecting that separation of church and state. So it's only at the request of a faith-based organization, but they are doing that all throughout Tennessee and really touching people's lives. Mm -hmm. I think we have to figure out how we can help our already faith-based organizations that are in place, how we can help you all touch those lives of those Hoosiers that are struggling. And I think that's a good, uh, that's a, that's a great heart that I love hearing from you, Suzanne, because a lot of politicians will get in the office and say the government can do it all <laughs> and the government cannot. And with the government, you know, Reagan also said the nine most dangerous, terrifying words in the English language are I'm with the government and I'm here to help. Yeah, <laughs> and, right. and so it's, it, it's one of those things where I think you're hitting on a really good aspect of, of, uh, private part or public uh, relationship. So, so the state saying, how can we empower those who are already on the ground to do what they do best? It's the church's job, according to the scriptures, according to what God has laid out. The three institutions are family, church, and government. And then God created all of them, so they're all good things. But they all have boundaries. And and so when when there's a problem in society, one of those three institutions is is called to deal with the problem head on. And then the other two back it up. So a great example is uh, who goes to war? Well, it's not the church. We've seen what happens when the church becomes the, 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 the force of war. It becomes, you know, the medieval dark ages. You, you see how the, the church would, was brutalizing people and became the, 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 the arm of justice. God never designed the church to go to war. The church is supposed to be the, the hands and feet of Jesus, take care of the sick, the orphan, the poor, the widow. Whose job is it to train up children? It's not the government's job. No wonder public education is so bad. It's because we've given, we've taken the authority away from parents and given it to the government. God never designed it that way. Well, the same thing is true with, with mental health. Whose job is it? I always go, whose job in the institutions is it to take care of the mental health? It is the church. It's the, the hands and feet of Jesus, the body. But the other two, organiz- the other two institutions come behind the church. So, so we say, when we go to war, we say, okay, government, you have to take the lead to go to war. But the church and the families come behind the government and say, we support, how can we support you? What, do you we'll send our men in, into battle. We'll, we'll do what we need to do to help the government in this. And in this instance, I think it's great that you're asking this question, Suzanne, because you're saying, what can the government do 
to come behind the church or churches to be able to empower them to take care of the mental health issues that are going on in our state. And and I think ultimately, too, we got to be honest. It's not just a a, physi- a biological, physi- physiological problem. It is a spiritual problem. When people don't have the joy in the identity that God has given them, when they don't walk in that, depression, suicide, anxiety, fear begins to take over. And we have to remember, too, that those are those are demonic spirits. They do exist. And while part of it, we battle our own flesh, we also have another enemy, which is the demonic, the evil forces that, that are in the unseen realm. And we have to recognize from a government perspective, it's hard to battle one of those demonic forces if you don't know who you are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you do, you have nothing to fear because you have more authority than they do and, and there's nothing to worry about. But I, I feel so terrible for the people who are living in fear and depression and anxiety and suicide and they don't even they don't even know that they have been called a child of or God is calling them to be a child of God and say hey you don't need to live in this but but that's the church's role to go out and say hey let let us show you the spiritual side of this and the reason the in my opinion it, it's important that the church leans into that is who do you think people trust the most their church or their government <laughs> Well, is that, I mean, yeah. the is answer that before, is in your response <laughs> is that yeah. before uh, covid in 2020 and dr fauci or after so uh, yeah. <laughs> probably yeah. both yes yeah, that's right that's a good point but yeah to your you're right it's it's the the pastors and the churches have relationships with people in the community of course they're going to trust the churches and and with good reason and you know it's it's good to have a healthy distrust of our government our founding fathers you know, set up checks and balances and separation of powers for that very reason. They didn't trust the government a lot. And so I think, I think it's a great point. I love hearing you say that Suzanne as someone who's going into government and, and, uh, and Tina, I don't, you know, throw it back to you a little bit. Like what would you say being somebody who deals with children from a church perspective, a ministry perspective, but also seeing the families, what could the government do to help you in what you do? Well, that's a good question because I think some of uh, where uh, I don't know if I want to say conflict, but where it gets tricky is I think some of the standards and licensure that are given to those who pursue, say, therapy at you know being a therapist as their profession, some of of the um, restrictions, guidelines, whatever you want to call them, don't necessarily line up with how the church would want to counsel someone, right? So um, where an institution, say, is training therapists, they may train them like, well, we we teach our, our therapists to have this MSW or whatever to be affirming in certain things where the church would say, we're not going to affirm that. We believe that's not a healthy identity, for a teenager. So, you know, gender dysphoria is a big one, right? If we we've had students that have that and and trying to walk them in the truth, well then so you have the church saying one thing and then a licensed therapist saying something else. And so I do think there is a weird like I'm not quite sure how you navigate that with licensing of therapists and then you know the the church's views maybe not lining up so that would just be a question i have i Mm -hmm. you know on how you would marry those two together 
in that way. Yeah, and I, you know, it was interesting because we had a lot of breakout sessions, and yeah. some of the some of the breakout sessions that dealt with workforce, and it was workforce within the behavioral healthcare okay. system, uh, talked about licensure and about you know certifications and about you know just the whole process of that. So I think it's something that we're going to look to and look at. But the Tennessee model, as I understand it, is the church provides, you know, actually provides the services. The state is there at the request of the church to have a therapist come in and instruct the people that are actually, you know, doing the service, you know, giving them tips or, you know, coming in with peer counselors to kind of talk to people about, you know, what it is that they're doing and how you can recognize, you know, behavior, which can be helpful. I mean, because there's basic things in a therapy session that happen, like how to, you know, engage in active listening, how to make someone feel like they are heard. And, you know, so that kind of training. Wait, what, mm -hmm. what did you say? Yeah, what I said, what, Micah, you're supposed you know, to reflect Micah, that's that. why God, God gave you two ears and one mouth. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so Tina, what I hear you saying Same. is. I was, I checked out. I don't know I what know. you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But that, that is a good point, Tina. I mean, uh, you, you hear often, Suzanne, and you know, with the government shekels come the government shackles, you know, and I, I've heard, I'm good friends with Dennis Quakenbush. He's our sheriff in Hamilton County and, and he's, he loves the Lord, a very godly man. And um, his biggest concerned with ever taking money from from state or federal is he won't be able to provide a biblical worldview to help these inmates get back on their feet and he knows the the truth the truth will set people free and a lot of times government says well you can't you can't say that truth right and so yeah how does that right. how would right. that work yeah no it wouldn't be providing resources yeah yeah you know, yeah there's it, no because you one you have to have a separation of church and state and so you don't want, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect a church would want government right, right. Yeah. for those reasons, yeah. nor would the government want to be, have the scrutiny of the federal government. So right. Oh yeah, for the sure. Federal government yeah. coming down on them. Uh, and so it's more about, I think, what kind of resources can the state provide in terms of human bodies yeah. to be of assistance. Would you ever say, would you ever say that there would be, let's just say for Life Church, if we wanted to call, reach out to, you know, our state government and say, okay, we'd like to, we'd like help on this counseling or something like that. If we'd put a Tennessee model in place, but we want somebody with a biblical worldview that will come in from a biblical perspective, would the state ever be able to say, yeah, we got someone like that for you? Or likewise, if there's a mosque and they say, we want someone with an Islamic worldview, would there be something that would there be someone that fits what we what we teach to do that? Would that ever be something you that know, you I think? I think that uh, as we look at delivery of services, we constantly and it's becoming more and more um, kind of a, a priority to have the right kind of people treating the right kind of people. And to give you an example. Uh, someone said to me once, they went to their therapist, it was a, a, a law enforcement person, first responder, and they said they went to their therapist, they were stressed out, you know, they had a lot of anxiety, and their therapist says, well, just turn your phone off, turn your pager off for a period of time every day. Well, obviously that, that person didn't understand what this individual's profession was like and what they had to go through. And so we also get the same feedback in agriculture because I'm secretary of agriculture that 
you know, it's a different kind of mindset when you're an, you're a farmer, yeah. you're in agriculture, mm-hmm. you're stoic and you're strong and you know you 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 work hard and and so you you never get away from your profession because your profession in your home, you know, your business in your home yeah, it's they're all right together. There. Yeah. And so we have to have people that understand and are trained and tailored to the different needs that yeah, are out there. That they're walking into. They, they know their audience when they're walking mm-hmm. in. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I love that. Um, it, this, and this is a great conversation. If you like what you're hearing, um, and, and we'll, we're not done yet, so don't see this as wrapping up, but but where can people find find out more about you, Suzanne? I want to know. I want them to be able to, you know, what's your, uh, <laughs> you can just Google. She's looking, she's like, uh, Megan, Megan. Uh, no, so we got Megan in here. Uh, so uh, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, if you, I'm going to answer this one for you because I think we were on your Facebook earlier, right? Tina, Tina was on your Facebook. Was that? Yeah. yeah. So no, I wasn't on Facebook. Where were you at? Were you on Twitter? No, I was just Googling. Oh, just Google. (laughs) Google Indiana Lieutenant Governor. But yes. So, so, Hey, we can. (laughs) Suzanne's over here. I am dot gov. There's a biography. Yes. Yes. Well, what you are. Well, here's the thing. I don't think we've actually. Indiana.com. Suzanne Crouch for Indiana. No, just. Oh, this this is where you listen. Okay. Two ears, one mouth. Yes. Okay. Here we go. (laughs) Crouchforindiana.com. Okay. Now I want to say this because I don't think we've actually said this yet. Suzanne, you are not just the Lieutenant Governor. You're running for governor of indiana that's right so that was that was a big so that was a big reason getting you in here we wanted to hear the heart of the candidate and we do these heart of the candidate episodes where it's just give you a chance to share who you are why you're doing what you're doing but uh crouch for indiana.com uh that will be your gubernatorial race uh website correct is that right okay right and you want to know why i'm running for governor i would love to yes because you're you're bored and you want you have nothing to do well i I believe god has god has directed me in that i love it on that path but uh you know i i have a clear vision for indiana yeah that i'd like to share with you yeah please do okay yep so and it starts with our schools okay you know, I believe it's parents and only parents who should control what's being taught to our children. Oh my goodness, what a revolution! Yes, amazing. No more drag queens in our schools and libraries. Praise the Lord. No more, yep. uh, no more pornography on our library shelves. Yep. No more gender identity being taught to our young impressionable children. Great. We need to push back on the teachers' union, support charter schools and parental choice. And when it comes to boys competing in girls' sports, that yeah, can never, never, ever happen. I love it. Because we as women have fought too long for fairness in sports, and it's a matter of safety and fairness. But I also believe that we should have an Indiana that funds and supports our police and enforces our crime laws to the fullest. And, you know, when it comes to deadly fentanyl arriving in Indiana through our country's mm. wide-open southern uh, yeah. borders, yep. you know, I'm going to show Biden what playing hardball with people that kill Hoosiers looks like. That's awesome. So think about it. If ISIS would come to our country and kill 100,000 Americans, including thousands of children, what would our reaction be? Oh, we go to war. It'd be swift. It'd be decisive. Yeah, yeah. And yet, and yet, fentanyl coming across our border killed 100,000 Americans last year, yeah. including children. Wow. And Biden does nothing. Does nothing. Yeah. And so we as a state have got to push back. And we've got to push back in a number of ways. 
but also as governor, I'll continue to work so that we can lower your taxes even more. I have I've worked hard to protect Indiana jobs, helping companies move and grow here, creating the good paying jobs of today. And as governor, I'll invest in worker training, creating the good paying jobs of tomorrow. I've been a relentless protector of Hoosier values that say, we will always be here for the most vulnerable and never compromise in protecting faith, family, and freedom. And it's why I cast a critical vote to toughen Indiana's abortion laws, helping and fighting to protect the unborn. You know, we've accomplished a lot. Mm -hmm. And I'm running for governor because I have the passion, the commitment, the courage, and the experience to move Indiana into the future. And failure is not going to be an option because Indiana deserves opportunities for Hoosiers. And that's what I'll do as governor. I love it. I mean, listen, that's yeah. a that's a pretty good stump speech that's right there, good. Suzanne. I can tell you've got that down. And and I, I like what I'm hearing. I, I really do. I think those are great messages. Here, I want to give you a chance, though, because, because here's the pushback as I'm out talking to people. The pushback is you're tied to Holcomb. And, and so, you know, Governor Holcomb has, as much as I, th- I think he's a, is a nice man, uh, I think he's done not a good job as governor, certainly through the, the shutdown, the vaccine mandates, for uh, trying to get Hoosiers to wear a mask or else be thrown in jail. Um, thankfully, our sheriff stood up to him and, and, and stopped that. Uh, vetoing the women's sports bill. He wasn't real strong on on uh, even parental rights. I mean, you know, it's, it was kind of, you know, we sent the, the House and Senate sent over some pretty strong parental rights bills to protect children in, in the schools from what you were saying, from the, the gender, uh, you know, nonsense that's being taught in schools. And, and he's very, well, I'm going to take all seven days to, you know, just see what, you know, as opposed to, yes, this is right and we're signing it right now. Get it on my desk. The Ron DeSantis approach is winning. The Eric Holcomb approach is losing. And 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 that's what and and so I want to ask you how are you different from Eric Holcomb because right now you guys are you're the same executive branch. And so so you're going to have to overcome this hurdle that I hear when I'm out talking to people about politics is like, "Well, Suzanne, we, she's a nice lady, but I don't know, like is she Eric, is she Eric Holcomb 2.0?" That's what I hear a lot. So I love your stump speech. What you are saying is yeah. is like, man, this is ladies got it down. The question will be, yeah, but will you do it? Well, and I have a record. I mean, yeah. you can go back and check my record as auditor, as a commissioner, as a state rep, uh, you know, auditor of state. When I was auditor of state, you know, we made government transparency a top priority and helping to prevent fraud and end wasteful government spending and leading Indiana to be a national leader. You know, when I was a state rep, you can look at my record. I pro-gun, pro-life. I mean, it's not like I don't have a record. People Mm -hmm. can find it, and I'm sure they will. (laughs) And we'll be talking about that as we move through the campaign. You know, and so I am conservative, and I'm proud of that. I'm not hiding from it. Until I was a candidate, though, to me, I, my role was to be lieutenant governor, to be president of the Senate, to be heading up four agencies. And quite honestly, we have done a lot of good things. Sure. But when it comes to a governing approach, which now as a candidate, I feel like I had the liberty to talk about and to put out there. My approach is conservative because it is truly at the end of the day 
about our faith, our family, and our freedoms. And if we do not protect and support and strengthen our families, then we are going to continue to move in the direction of the federal government and have them be taking control and telling us what to do in our lives. So we have to be sure that we are putting in measures and initiatives that are supportive of that family unit, understanding that not everyone and not every child has that support. And that's then when we have to step in and we have to try to provide that kind of support for those young, impressionable children and make sure that we have the measures in place that protect them so that we aren't teaching gender identity. You know, we don't have pornographic materials on our library shelves, you know. And so, you know, I would say, you know, as the campaign goes on and people get a chance to learn who I am and what I stand for, I think they will appreciate and respect me for who I am. Because I've always been my own person. In fact, um, I'll share with you a funny story that my... Um, when my husband asked me to marry him, he went to my father, and that's pretty old-fashioned, but he did, and he asked, uh, he asked uh, for my hand in marriage. And my father said, you know, I want to give you just one piece of advice. He said, whatever you do, don't ever tell Suzanne what to do. He said, because she is independent and she's strong, and she's going to do what she thinks is right. So you can make suggestions, and eventually she'll <laughs> that's probably... That's funny. That's exactly what I say to my husband yeah, all the time. Yeah. This you is, can uh, make suggestions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but don't tell me what to do. That's funny. Well, and, and, I, I, and that's what I appreciate about you, Suzanne, as I've gotten to know you over the last year, is you're very... Uh, you are independent in the sense of you're your own person. And I think people see, I mean, just even your, your wardrobe. I love that you wear these bright red glasses everywhere. It's sort of become your signature. I love your picture on your website. Yeah. (laughs) And so it's, it's your, you're, you're okay with being unique and not fitting into a certain mold over there, over here, over there, wherever people tell you. And so I think, you know, as I've gotten to know you, I've asked you this before and, 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 and it says, will you be able to, to withstand the, the pressure from people within your own cabinet even or in your own party saying, yeah, but you better do this because that's what every Republican does. And, and knowing, you know, full well knowing like, yeah, but that may not be the right thing to do in this situation. Will you be able to, to withstand that and say, no, I'm going to do what I know to be true and I know to be right according to what God's word says and what the Constitution says and you know, if, and if everybody in my party thinks I'm wrong, well, then they can take it up at the polls next time around. But I, I you know, that's I think I think Hoosiers are looking for the strength of Donald Trump and the finesse of Ronald Reagan. I think that's why a guy like Ron DeSantis does so well in Florida. He he kind of embodies both. He's a fighter. He's not going to let the liberal leftist woke mob push him around. But he's also got a whimsical finesse where he knows how to, you know, he knows how to move within the system and he can get things done. And so, so I, is that, is, would that be you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it was, you know, Brian Howie, the Howie yeah. report. Yeah. He did a couple of years ago, he did Profiles in Courage, those Hoosiers that, you know, over the past 50 years, I think it was 50 years, have stood up for what is right, you know, and have fought back against the establishment and I was, I believe, number 12. Oh, cool. 
because of what I did when I was a state rep, which was I introduced a bill to stop, at that time, Governor Daniels from moving forward with a program that was hurting Hoosiers. And I was a political leper from my party that session, yeah. you know, for obvious reasons, because Republicans don't introduce bills against their Republican governors. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, you have to do what is right. You have to do what God intends you to do. And that doesn't mean that you have to do what other people want you to do all the time. I want four years as governor to be bold and to be transformative. I'm not going to, at my age, I'm not going to spend four years sitting in an office, playing it safe, trying to figure out how I'm going to get reelected. Because if you're doing bold things, and if you're being transformative in people's lives, the rest will take care of itself, and you'll get reelected. Yeah. But this is not a time for timidity. This is a time for leadership, for bold leadership. If we're going to continue to move Indiana forward, and we're going to continue to give every Hoosier that opportunity to have the kind of life that they want. And it, it should be a life that is guided by faith and by family and by freedom. That's good. As a, uh, I'll throw this over to Tina here, just because I am not a woman, nor do I identify as one. Uh, so, but uh, as a woman in leadership, you know, Pastor Tina, you are, you are in leadership here at Life Church, and, you know, part of our of our central lead team. And, and so, uh, and then obviously Suzanne, you would be the first ever female governor of Indiana. And so, you know, what maybe what, what goes through your mind when you're stepping out in the, and I'm using this more just kind of as a term, but into a man's world, a, a man's dominated world. When you're, when you're walking into these places that typically you would see men in leadership uh, whether it's a pastoral leadership or a gubernatorial uh, leadership role, like what what advice do you have for each other or for other women listening? Or what's kind of that's a big question, I know, but I don't know that I have advice. I think I have questions. I can only imagine um, because I feel like whatever pressure a man would feel running for governor, I'd imagine there's additional challenges running as a woman that a man would not experience and and maybe that's I don't know do you feel like that's true like in your I role don't know. As- yeah I, I'm not sure what a man would feel <laughs> well that's fair <laughs> I guess, uh, I guess I feel like our male pastors have it pretty easy. Oh, whatever, whatever, often, you know, whatever, whatever. That's not but, even I, you true. Know, I, 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 you know, I don't know about, you know, what your calling is. And, you know, when you serve in the church, if you're one of the only women in a room, I can tell you I'm the only woman in a lot of rooms. And, yeah. uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, that isn't what defines me. You know, it's. It's who I am. It's what I do for other people. You know, it's how I walk in the path of God that defines me. It's not. Do you find, does it ever, does it ever kind of bleed? Does it affect how you fight? I mean, I presume, yeah, I assume as a woman, I, I'm, you know, I approach things differently than men do. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very collaborative. You know, I, I am not afraid of confrontation, but I don't seek it out. Uh, and I'm not saying that men do, but I'm just describing well, who I Yeah, I yeah, Tina. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Go Tina. Go ahead, jump in, Tina. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to spill the tea. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. 
you know, but um, at the end of the day, I think people look to leaders that are going to be compassionate and, mm-hmm. and committed to helping them and be caring and have the experience to do it. Uh, and that would be my hope is that that's how they judge a person. Well, I mean, just your platform alone, like everything that you've said, you know, I'm not, I don't hear that as like, oh, well, that's coming from a woman. Like, that's just stuff I agree with. Yeah. Like, it's leadership. Yeah. It's yeah. just good leadership. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. throughout scripture, too, I mean, God used women in really powerful roles. I mean, from Deborah, um, you know, you had Phoebe, you had, um, you know, Philip's daughters. I mean, you had a lot of just amazing women that would step up and in, into whether it's leadership within a nation or whether it's leadership within, within the community of believers. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's very, uh, it's very evident that God will call women to step up and, and do some big things. So I just, I, and, and here's what I, I appreciate about you, Suzanne. I've never heard you throw the woman card around as a woe is me vote for me like break the glass ceiling I, and i i hate that when people do it on the left and i also hate that when people do it on the right and i and I actually i was on wibc on tuesday and we were talking about you and that was one of the things that that they brought that up when we were talking about it and i said hey i'll give suzanne credit i've never once heard her say well you got to vote for me because i'm a woman and we've got to you put a identity politics on the ticket and i i appreciate that that you're just saying nope Vote for me based on what I will do as governor and my leadership and the things that I bring to the table from a skills perspective and how I will govern. And that, I mean, that's what we should be about. I don't care about the, the, the sex of a person. I don't care about the skin color of a person. Like, can they do a good job leading us? That's what I care about. That's, will they follow the Constitution? Will they do what God has established good leaders to do? And if the answer is yes, then I'll get behind you. And then do they appreciate that the government is really the people. Yeah. It's the people's government. What has always offended me throughout my my public service is when you come across office holders or bureaucrats and they talk about my budget and my office. It's not their budget. It's not their office. I always say that every dollar that comes to government has a name and a face attached to it. Mm, this is the good. people's government. It's yeah. their money. And you know what? We're the ones that should be telling government what to do, not the other way around. That's right. That's good. Okay, so you've heard it. The candidate's heart right there, Suzanne Crouch. And if you want to check out more about uh, what what she's doing, crouchforindiana.com. Right? Well is that is that well is that a way? Yes. Okay, and Meg, Megan's now. A, yeah. <laughs> Suzanne's got. Listen, Suzanne, you probably need to learn that one. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> pretty soon. So. <laughs> no, I love it though. Thank you. And you, again, you got a great spirit. You've got a great heart. I think everyone that meets you realizes it very quickly that you are really genuinely a, a servant leader, and we need more servant leaders. Uh, in, in office, we, we need servant leaders everywhere in society. And so, you know, win, lose, or draw, I just appreciate the fact that you're stepping up to run and, and check, check out Suzanne. I mean, I, this is, she, you will go into pretty much almost any setting that, that people will invite you in. I mean, you, you have kind of the fearless sort of, yeah, if you want me to talk about who I am, invite me in, I'll talk about I it. And, that. and that's a great, it's a great thing. You're not hiding, you're not running from the people you're saying, 
You know, I'm I'm if if I'm the people's choice, they need to know who I am. Age is a great liberator. <laughs> oh, isn't that true? You're not that old though. You, hey, yeah, just as you get older, you get you, you just know. care less. You, well, I, I don't even you know that you less. care less. You just are more comfortable and confident there you in go. yourself. Yeah, see, she yeah. says it so much better than that's me. right. No, it's like That's why it's, she's running. Yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, it's uh. It's been it's been fun having you in here. Thank you again for Thank coming you. Thanks for and uh, me, Tina. Thank you. yes, Thanks, yep, absolutely. So you know, Tina, anything you want to say on the way out? As we uh, anything as I we, want to say on the way oh, out? Oh, you know what you need to say is Nathan always forgets this. He always forgets to promo the podcast and to what say about the subscribe. Church? Listen, we have a killer youth group. Oh hey, it's gosh. happening tonight at six thirty. Oh, am gosh, this isn't even going to air until Friday. So now people are going to be like, uh, "Oh, tonight." Just go to the website. No, this would the have already happened. Technique. Well, and you then just I have my up. own podcast, which you also <laughs> no, never no, mentioned. No, 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 straight. no. <laughs> no, it's, uh, you're the worst. Uh, that's funny. I have a beep button right here, so uh, I can I can mute you. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> so, you are so the worst. It, no, whatever. Okay, subscribe, like, share. LifeChurchLions.com. Tell all straight podcast. All your liberal friends about this podcast, <laughs> so that we can set them straight in the future. This has been Jesus, Sex, and Politics, where we talk about all those things culture doesn't want to talk about. Pastor Nathan's not here, but Tina was. That will scare you. That's right. Oh, we forgot that part. You forgot. See, I got you. I listened. That's right. All right. We'll see you next time.